Hi, this is Damon Pistolka, host of the Faces of Business podcast, where we talk to interesting people about life and business. We cover their backgrounds, obstacles they've encountered, and find out what drives them. Along the way, our guests share nuggets you can use to drive your success. Reach me directly, D-A-M-O-N at ExitYourWay.us, or check out our website, ExitYourWay.us, for more information. I hope you enjoy our show. All right, everyone, welcome once again to the Faces of Business. I'm your host, Damon Postalka. And with me today, I've got Roy Strauss from Strauss Consulting Group. And we're going to be talking about supply chain, supply chain diligence uh, for business buyers and sellers. So, Roy, thanks so much for being here today. Well, thank you for inviting me, Damon. I'm looking forward to this very much. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Roy, you know, you've been in, in the supply chain business for more than a few weeks. So I always like to, I always like to let somebody kind of explain how you really got into the, into the supply chain consulting business. And then we can talk about some of the things that, that you've seen develop over the years and some of the things that, you know, recent developments and other things like that. But let's start by understanding a bit more about your background and how you got into supply chain. Sure. Thank you, Damon. So um, I'm going to talk a little bit about my early history. Um, I got my first real job and I was always a numbers guy. So the company hired me for purchasing an inventory. And a couple of months later, they hired a warehousing consultant. This was going to be the first of three we hired over the 10 years we were going to be there. I had the good fortune to experience hyper growth. We grew tenfold in 10 years. That's nice. Yeah. And uh, so what happens is I'm working with this experienced consultant and I don't like anything he's doing. And this project was so important. I'd reported directly to the president. Yeah. I said to him, I don't like what he's doing. And the president said to me, you didn't know what a pallet was three months ago. Go learn something. Well, Roy doesn't take kindly to that. <laughs> yeah. So I started taking notes. Uh, a few weeks later, I gave him my notes. We we're going to long July 4th weekend. I said, just do me a favor, read my notes. And he comes back after the weekend and says, I don't know what's going on here, but the kid knows more than a consultant. He's running the project. And this is how I learned that this is what I was born to do. And I will get into it a little bit because it's really going to affect things I've seen that I don't see elsewhere for people buying and selling businesses as well as supply chain in general. Yeah. And and, um, so... Um, we, like I said, we, we hired other consultants, uh, later, but it's about, uh, three years later and the president calls me in and says, well, you screwed up, Roy. I said, how'd I screw up? He says, well, we had a five-year growth plan and we outgrew it in three years. Yep. Said, Roy being Roy, I said, good, don't sell so much. Anyway, <laughs> what that really meant was, excuse me, that was the other guy's growth plan. So what he, I said, look. Let me know what you're trying to accomplish. Give me a growth plan. Tell me what the resources are, and I will get back to you with a plan. And I got back to him with, you can't do it. He goes, what do you mean I can't do it? I'm the president. I said, the resources you're allocating is not enough to hit the speeds we're looking for over the continuum to always have 
the right space, the right equipment, the right staff, the right IT resources, and the right systems and processes. So as we grow through that growth continuum, when volumes go up every year, we keep our customers happy. You either scale yeah. back the plan, we increase the resources. Yep. So that became the operational growth plan that came out of my head back in 1975, okay? And it's still in use today because when I, how many companies you visit, what happens with the operational growth plan is we do modeling and they see 10% a year for five years, 7% a year for eight years, whatever, what it's going to look like. Again, how much space, staff, equipment, process, and IT to be successful. And then the client picks something that's manageable. They participated in it. And then what happens is um, I create exception reports. Let's say to hit the speed you require, the third year you need automation. You don't need it until then. You start growing sooner. Well, my report is saying to you, exception report, start acquiring sooner. Let's say we're about to go into a, a, a recession. Well, look what's happening. You're going to see sooner that things are slowing down. You're going to stop spending money before the competition. Mm -hmm. why, why is this important when I'm looking to buy a building? Well, you're going to buy a building and let's say it's um, 200,000 square feet and you have 10%, you have 20% to grow into, okay? And this is a business you're buying. The building comes, you know, the building comes along with the business. Well, for all you know, you can outgrow that building next year if you haven't created an operational growth plan to see what's really going to happen mm -hmm. and what resources you're going to need, okay? So do you really want to buy a business where you think you have enough space, and then a year later, you have to either expand space, um, take additional space elsewhere, or, you know, hoping to buy the building because yeah. it's be too small for your whole life in the building. Yeah. The operational growth plan is so essential in understanding what you're doing in terms of the space. Now, yeah. once we're talking about the building, the building itself is part of the profit center. Okay. You could have two buildings with the same exact footprint, uh, uh, 200 by 300, okay. Well, one has column spacings that support your rack layer. The other one doesn't. One has docks in a favorable place, so many of the product can move quickly from the dock to the rack and back to the dock again. Others, you may have to travel 100 feet before you even get to the rack. Yeah. A good building for distribution, everything that sells fast is right opposite the dock door. A yep. good building for a manufacturer is I receive it, I store it, work and process, store it, finish manufacturing, staging and shipping out the door. So in the latter case, I want a building that has doors on the opposite side of the building, and I want it to be longer. In the first case for distribution, I want the doors to be on one side. What good is it having doors on the opposite side of the building if fast, medium, and slow moving product all, all have to travel that distance? Mm-hmm. So I, I I want the doors on the wide side of that building so as much rack as possible is opposite those doors so the fast-moving product travels the shortest distance possible. Yeah. Okay. And again, what we do is we have building checklists. Uh, uh, several things happen with people I work with. First of all, and we're going to get more into why just beyond growth uh, and what we're, and the building, but most of the people I work with, they'll call me in to look at the operation with them and critique it before they'll buy it, help them with the due diligence, uh, my clients who are going to buy a business. And um, and even just as important, you own a building or you have to get a new building, you're out of space. I have my building checklist that covers all those things. Mm -hmm. it, 
facility size this is a poor growth the configuration is that right are the docks in the right place uh, column spacing ceiling heights you have special requirements hazardous materials uh security so forth and so yeah. on and our our analysis of the building a for people who are getting a building but just as important you're buying that business is the building part of your profit center or is the building continually constraint management and that's mm-hmm. going to big difference in how profitable you can be in that business you just bought. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. And, and it shows, you know, your background of understanding how to run a business and run a business that that's, that's moving products is, is key to understanding how to have an, a, have an efficient warehousing operation, have an efficient supply chain overall. So, um, what are some so when you look back at the projects you've done what are some of the some of the interesting projects that you have boy that was really fun uh if i can let me do a second add on to your original question if i may very good very good yeah the second part of it is not only the building but the product and the equipment that may be coming along it's manufacturing you may have extensive manufacturing equipment you certainly Mm -hmm. have very possibly conveyor rack uh forklifts etc etc and what happens here is um, the key to success is what are you buying in terms of product, first of all? One of our other areas of expertise is product mix inventory. So when I first worked on that first job, I was a numbers guy and I saw all the stuff we were stocking. My first yeah. job, we couldn't sell it. Why yeah. are we stocking something we can't sell? The second thing I saw is the inventory plan was three months, and they did my numbers thing. We have three years. We have three millenniums. So over those 10 years and over the 38 years of my consulting practice, I started in January 1983. I developed what you have to do to be successful. So we have scientific formulas to determine what product you can sell successfully and what you shouldn't be carrying. Well, gee, if you're going to buy a business, don't you want to know? that maybe 50% of what you're buying is not sellable. Mm-hmm. On the uh, on the inventory side, again, we said we had three months. We had three years worth. Again, I know why. I go into my clients and teach them, and we have monitoring tools so it never gets out of control again. But you're buying that business. Oh, good. This is a sellable product. I, I, they tell me the inventory model is three months. Well, you know what? It's really three years. Do I really want all that inventory laying around all that time? It's it's not ca- it's killing my cash flow. Yeah. Business. So yeah. what we want to do? What happens is when I work with the client, okay, Warren Buffett's model when he's buying a business, he's not buying stock. He's buying a business. He wants the best product with the best service with the lowest cost. So when we do the product mix inventory study, we get rid of a lot of stuff. Getting rid of stuff shrinks the footprint. Yeah. Going through faster. Well, if I'm going through faster, it's less time. Less time is less people. Less people is less equipment. So by doing product mix and inventory study, we are streamlining the business because you're going through much faster. It's much less Mm -hmm. space. And reducing costs for inventory, space, staff, and equipment. We just created Warren's model. You get the best product with the best service at the lowest cost. And you're killing the competition and you're beating it on cash flow. Yeah. If you are buying the business, this is clients I work with. But again, if I'm working with you, you're buying the business. We're going to look at that and say, do you want to buy this business versus this business? Because this business has all this extra stuff and this one doesn't. 
or do you really want to pay $20 million for inventory when the stuff is only worth $10 million? Yeah. So it's a heads up on you're going to be putting a lot of money into stuff that you can't sell and it's going to burn a large hole in your pocket. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And, uh, and uh, again, uh, let's talk about the equipment. What happens uh, again? What typically happens in a purchase uh, agreement with uh, inventory? Uh, the perpetual inventory says ten million. We counted as ten million. We got ten million. Let ten million. Let's go buy it. That doesn't work if five million isn't saleable. Yeah. Yeah. The equipment. The books say, well, we bought the equipment ten years ago for fifty million dollars. We depreciate it down to thirty million dollars. There's the thirty million dollars worth of equipment. Well, you know what? Maybe that equipment is obsolete. Mm-hmm. Maybe you can't compete anymore. Okay. And what we want to do is get the real value of the equipment and see what you're really buying for your money. Maybe none of it is usable for all you know. Maybe you can't beat the competition with that equipment and you have to know. Mm-hmm. And what we're talking about is the building, the equipment, the inventory. What about staffing? Oh, wow, look at this. Uh, they're producing at this rate. Well, is anyone buying a building seeing what are standards for that industry or what are local businesses getting out of their labor force? Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, the keys are whether you're doing a project or buying a business, is it the right space for now in the future? Uh, do I have the right equipment uh, based on my growth plan? Mm-hmm. Okay. If, if, again, I, I said, you, you know, you, you need more than the 20,000 extra square feet. Well, gee, what if I'm growing and I have to spend another $10 million on equipment because or IT resources, even more important. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because it's not going to be able to support what my growth plan is. So mm-hmm. you have to understand what your growth plan is before you even look at the business. Or if you're looking at the business, go back to someone who can help you with the growth plan to determine if the business is viable for, for you or not. And again, the, the five things all the time, space, staff, equipment, process, and IT. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it is interesting how much you bring up IT and you've brought up several times. And it's, it's interesting how much that has changed and how much it really is affecting the, the efficiency of warehouse operations. I mean, the, the mobile computing devices that read the barcodes, you know, uh, yeah. uh, Chuck Cox had a friend of mine has got, they, they sell the, the hand on the back of your hand barcode readers that you just like a, like a Avenger off of a cartoon movie. You know, you're, you're pointing it at the barcodes and reading it into the systems and stuff. So you don't have to, you know, key in stuff. And, and then you think about the way the systems now help people that are picking products for an order to minimize the movement throughout the facility as you're doing it. And as you spoke, the inventory locations management where you move the products closest to the doors that move the fastest. It's just, there's so many of these things that I think that when businesses grow up, right, I start out, I got a great idea. Damon's got a cool product line and, and we're doing it. And, and so all of a sudden I'm in my garage, pretty soon my garage isn't big enough. Then I got to rent a little space and then I got to rent a bigger space and, and I'm not, I'm not reinventing myself. And I think that's one of the things that you're talking about without talking about it is 
where do you get to a point where you go, okay, yeah, it was cool when you're walking around in your garage and you had three racks and a, and, and a piece of paper keeping your inventory. But now, now we're in 50,000 square feet or a hundred thousand square feet with, with racks, you know, 30 feet high. And, and uh, you know, we've got pickers and we've got, you know, 35 people working in here 24 seven, trying to keep up with the order flow of product in and out. And, and, you know, that takes a different system. And a lot of people don't realize that until they're just about broke from just adding more people and more space. Well, again, getting back to IT that you were talking about, okay? So the current software, again, you have that growth plan, you don't have enough space, uh, you don't have the, the, enough equipment to get it manufactured enough, you may have to add equipment. Well, what about the IT resources? What yeah. are the volumes or capabilities of the software that's coming with the business is not capable of supporting future growth? Yeah. More important, when I talk to my friend Bob, who's one of the top security guys, how hackable is it? Have they? Yeah. Been, this is 2021. Uh, uh, and, and, and anything and everything is possible. And you don't want to buy it, get hacked the next day in ransomware. Yeah. Okay. Uh, That's for but, sure. Um, That's for sure. Yeah. That's for sure. Again, with COVID now, okay, let's talk about COVID and supply chain. Okay. Uh, so I would go to a networking meeting two years ago, and half the people would say, What's supply chain? Yeah. Well, now, <laughs> Now they, they know what it is. They couldn't get toilet paper. They couldn't get a bicycle. They can't get a trip to their car or they own a business and they're selling the heck out of it. Now nobody wants it or yeah. selling anything. And now everybody wants it. And yeah. If you have, if you, if the business you're buying doesn't have any systems in place, like we talked about before with some predictability, you're going to buy it. At least the people that sold it to you had a history. You have no mm -hmm. history and these things are happening and you're in a vacuum. Yeah. Okay. So it's even more important when you're buying the business that you increase exponen exponentially your ability to, again, space staff will quit and process IT, make sure you're handling it in the future, you're handling it now and you're doing everything right. I, again, it makes me cry. A friend of mine sold his business to somebody and they messed it up that they had to sell it back to him at half the price because uh, they couldn't run it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that happens. I mean, because again, I see this a lot too in business owners, when, especially when people that start out in, in a business, right. And start the business. And I'm a, you know, I'm a plumber or like I said, a product and I develop it and it's small and it gets big. You can run it intuitively, right? You run it just because you, you, you've, you've hit that. I've, I've, you know, I've hired the wrong people. I've ordered the wrong stuff. I've, 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 lived through those nightmares over 20 years or whatever it is. Yeah. And, and someone comes in that buys that business. They haven't lived those nightmares and lived all through that. And, and they're, they're on the other side of this thing with a loan that they've got to pay back on this business too, or, or, you know, whatever kind of way they finance this business, they've got to play, pay that back. Plus try to make money in the business, plus try to learn how to run the business successfully. And honestly, that is one of the things that we see, is, is most common is that transition people, they really don't understand what they're buying and they really don't, they're the, the, the seller while well-intended, not trying to discredit any of the sellers, they've been able to build that experience level up. So it's almost like breathing and the new buyer, it's completely, you know, I don't care if you're in the same industry or whatever, there's, there's sure. business nuances that are going to make it way, way different. I said this to somebody that, does, does, that wasn't getting it. 
I got punched in the nose for you so you don't have to get punched in the nose. I said that to them. Yeah. weren't getting it. By the way, everything we're talking about is supply chain business. I don't care if you have a law office, whatever. You're yeah. growing. How much space will I need? How many people? How many computers will I need? How big an office? Telephone systems? Will, will they, we, we outgrow them? Okay. So the operational growth plan we're talking about works for any business. We just yeah. got the product in the rack and move into the office side of the building. So yep. you could be buying a business that has no product at all, but understanding everything we talked about. Again, uh, based on growth, we run out of office space. Well, yeah. this, this is something next door. You're going to have to get a bigger space or have two offices. Okay, so everything we're talking about is applicable to any business, not just supply chain. Supply chain just lends itself the most because you have the risk of product, equipment, everything we talked about. Yeah, yeah. So what are some things that you see changing in the supply chain that you think are kind of exciting? Uh, what's exciting is that we're finally being recognized as important. Okay. Yeah. I, I made a sales call to a major division in one of the major companies on the stock exchange. Okay. Everybody owns their stock. I'm not going to embarrass them. Okay. Everybody owns their stock. And this sales call is about maybe 20 years ago. Okay. And they didn't know how much product they had of each item. Yep. They didn't know which building it was in. And I'm making the sales call to the supply chain staff. Well, supply chain is part of the marketing vertical. Again, I don't care how much you market and I don't care how much you sell. If you can't deliver it, what? Could, yeah. what what's the sense of even having a plan if you can't execute Yeah, yeah. So now what we're told is we'll send it up to marketing. And again, this is 20 years ago. Marketing says, ah, that's not so important. Forget about it. We want to spend the money on selling stuff. So yeah. they didn't know what they had. They didn't know where it was, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, would you buy a business if you didn't know what you had and where it was? It'd well, be pretty tough. Well, I didn't want to, I didn't buy their stock after that. Yeah. And what was really annoying is they succeeded despite themselves. I should have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that happens. I think there's some of that that happens and it's, yeah. it is, but, but it, but the thing that you pointed out there is there's problems like this in every company. And I mean, yeah. I don't think that the one thing is, is I think uh, some owners uh, and executives get, I don't know if it's in, uh, afraid to look, look like they don't, you know, haven't done or made some big mistakes or whatever it is sometimes, and they don't like to call in outside people to help. But honestly, the the only way that you're going to get good at something is if you screwed up at it an awful lot. And, and that's, yeah. The, yeah. that's you know, yeah, that's how you learn. And, and the, you know, someone like yourself working in supply chain in many years, you've seen it, you've seen it done wrong enough ways and and seen it done right enough ways that you're you're bringing experience from from many different many different operations many different situations into an to a business that has their experience in this one operation and doesn't have this more yeah wider look yeah let, let in fact let's talk about it in general okay so you meet with the president of the company and he says yeah that makes sense and then he goes back to the CFO and he says, we can't afford it. Or we go to CMO and he's a cover your ass guy. He says, uh, uh, he's probably not the right guy for us. He goes to CMO. The operation's running pretty well. You really want to waste money on that guy. And I call these guys the silent killers, okay? 
Yeah. Okay. The guys that don't want you in there because a they want to, don't want to be exposed or be again afraid of change, afraid of risk. Cover your fanny. Uh, you know who those guys are. Yeah. Doing when I'm making that initial meeting, I'm insisting that all the key stakeholders be at the meeting, and if they're not going to be at the meeting, I postpone it. Yeah. Okay. Because what I have to do is well, this is again a little bit different than buying a business, but really important. Okay. To get businesses working right and getting the right people in, in, in the right place. So what happens is, again, I have everybody there. And we, we again, this is my case. Now, this is not Roy saying this is what Roy does. This is Roy saying to whoever's out there, think about what you do and how you're going to apply it to what you're doing. Uh, again, whether you're looking at business, buying a business, running your own business, okay? So what I'm doing is I'm putting my hat on as a consultant before that meeting first meeting and what's anything and everything that can possibly happen. Then I've done all this stuff. Okay. I put on the president's hat. What am I looking for? How can I get deep sixth? CMO, CFO, CIO, COO. And now I'm showing up the meeting and I'm ready for everybody. Okay. So when I talk to the president about, Hey, you're going to have an operational growth plan. No matter what happens, you're going to know what to do, how to do it, when to do it and what it's going to cost you, which everybody should have and nobody does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Talking to the CMO, you can have the best product, the best service, the lowest cost. The CFO, we just reduced costs for space, inventory, staff, and equipment. The COO, we've just streamlined the operation. We've thrown nuggets at everybody. They have to be an idiot to say, no, we don't want to move forward. So, what I'm suggesting is, again, working with owners of companies or presidents or executives, you have to get through to them. They have to really understand. What could be happening in a business? What's the gap between what could be happening and what's happening? And how do you keep the silent killers from hurting your business, if you will? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. That's a great point is is getting, keeping the silent killers from hurting your business. That's because, you know, that the, and it's easy too. It's like you said, the, the people that don't want to want, don't want to have the outside opinion or don't want to have help, even if it's inside help, whatever it is that, that are trying to keep people out They're they're silently killing your business every day. And it's, it, we see it in sometimes when it's, uh, not resistant to change or resistant to, to, you know, really responding to market demand. And you know, if your market changes and, and, and different things, you got to be doing that. And those things don't happen all of a sudden. They're usually a little bit, little bit, little bit. And then, and the next, thing you know, you're like, Oh, we're not making money anymore. Yeah. And, and yeah. then, then you, then you really are scrambling to try to find out how, how the last 10 years of just slow decline, how are we going to make that back up? Yeah. Or get back to where we were. Now, now, this is just as important as anything else we talked about, about um, buying a business, okay? So how is that business systemized and operating right now? Mm -hmm. Is everything coming down from top leadership? Because a lot of companies I visit, the president's too busy, gives it to the vice president, who gives it to the manager, who gives it to the supervisor, who gives it to the guy who are working, because everyone's too busy. So the lowest common denominator and the guy that cares the least is determining how it's being done. Okay. Now, I don't care what you're doing. If you're selling real estate, if you're picking an order, if you're loading a truck, there's company, something called best practice. That's the best way to do it. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if you have 10 workers and one is doing best practice and everyone else isn't, 90% are underperforming. Mm -hmm. 
You want to buy a business where 90% are underperforming. Okay. So, and again, when you're looking to buy a business, you want to make sure that leadership has established a chain of command with delegation of responsibility, and you're going to step in, build the spot that that person had, or you're going to want to change how they pick orders and have a riot on your hands. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's so important, the culture of the company and how that happens. And this is what happened uh, on one of the uh, one of the uh, deals I went on where um, I was working with the seller and uh, so the buyer's walking through. And I'll tell you what this came to in a minute, what it led to. The buyer's coming through and they asked the supervisor, well, how does that work? And his answer was, hell the hell do I know? You think that guy wanted to buy that business? Okay, that's a glaring example of what I'm talking about. Leadership from the top, best practice, domains. The domain is the corporate domain. Everything else has to support the corporate domain, not this guy's department. This guy's uh, family yeah. life is more important than the business itself. So the corporate culture is so important. So that led me to, in addition to buying a business, well, you're selling a business, okay? Hey, if you have a million-dollar house, are you going to have everyone say, hey, come take a look? Or are you going to stage it first? Well, if you're selling a business, you should be staging it also. Yeah. Okay? We talked about companies have dead inventory, obsolete equipment, okay? Well, if someone comes along to buy your business and they really know what they're doing, they're going to say, I don't want to buy your business. It's got $10 million worth of dead inventory. Or that equipment isn't any good. Or, you know, anything that could kill the deal so you're staging it. So first of all, everything is clean and spotless. Second of all, anyone that they could possibly talk to is going to be trained how to talk to a person the way you want it spoken, not what's going to come out of their mouth. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, also, let's say you do have some dead inventory. Well, what 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 is the deal breaker for you? Okay. Well, if the guy says, I'm giving you $5 million less, which is dead inventory, and you can't take $5 million less but maybe you could take $2 million less, then get rid of the, I say get rid of, you may be able to return it to a vendor, you may be able to sell it, you may be able to donate to a charity. Yeah. Pull $3 million, $3 million of, we'll call it bad stuff that this that the buyer should not be seeing if you're selling the business. And then the $2 million becomes a negotiable between the two of you and you may be able to make a deal. But yeah. if the gap is too big, you're going to, and someone knows what they're doing, uh, and and one of the bad things also is if you sell to someone that doesn't know what they're doing, that's going to be even more problems down the down, down the road because they're just going to keep on complaining and so forth and so on because they didn't know what they got themselves into and they're going to come back to you all the time. Well, and it's it's like you mentioned, you know, it it those it doesn't immediately. Yes, you may get a deal done, but what happens as far as the financing of most business deals, at least when you get into multi-million dollar business deals and tens of millions, is that the seller is going to hold a note for part of this purchase price of the business. Well, they that that note is usually could be 15 to 30% of the business, sometimes more, depending upon what what is what's negotiated. But they the seller needs to understand that in in what they do. It's not that that you know, selling excess inventory, selling bad equipment that that'll that will cost that business a lot of money down the road will only hurt them over time. And it's like you said, it's much better to to have a business that is ready for the next person to be very successful in it for all parties involved. Yeah. As Sai Sim said, a best customer is an educated customer. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. that is correct. Uh, yeah, and 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 again, you brought this up also talking about supply chain right now and how it's affecting everything. Okay, so like we said before, uh, you're selling it like there's no tomorrow, and then people stop buying it, or you nobody's buying it now. How many people wanted bicycles now because they're going to be riding in the country instead of taking a train into the city, or whatever? Yeah. Um, and and again, if your system, you can control it. It's yeah. control. You can you can tell me anybody in December of 2019 that's going to tell you in July you can't buy a bicycle. Yeah. You show me that person, I'm going to hire him, you know, to run my business or her. I'm sorry. Yeah. And so so what's going on here is again, if you're prepared, if you're systemized, if you have your growth plan with with with, uh, with um, monitoring systems, so at least you get get it as early a heads up as possible. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Because it, it there there really were some some glaring things that happened just because of of the the rapid shutdown of some industries and and, and yeah. now when we run into trying to start them back up, lumber is a good example. I mean, nobody nobody really anticipated. Everybody said, "Well, we we you know turn all the lumber plant mills off because you know we we're not going to do anything." And that what they didn't realize is it just meant that everybody's at home remodeling their homes and doing, doing, you know, they're remodeling themselves at home and the contractors continued to work and they needed more homes because they're moving out to places where they weren't before. And we have thousand, you know, what was it? A thousand dollars for a, the, you know, a thousand cubic feet of whatever that was way. It was like three times the, the normal cost on the lumber. And now you see that it's finally the supply chain is catching back up and the price of lumber is coming back down. Yeah. But those, those kind of things are going to plague us for a long time. And, and the more complex the industry, the worse, because when you look at like uh, the IC chips, it's crazy what, what that's done to yeah. the automotive industry yeah. and everything else. When you've got, um, even here in Seattle, right? We we have a pack car. They build tons of semi trucks here. Uh, if you drive by their their facility right now, there are literally thousands of trucks out there that are waiting for components. Right. And 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 you go into the into the Midwest at the plants, the the automobile plants. You know they they've shut down how many production lines? Yeah. Just because of IC chips. Now I'm not talking about all the other stuff. And and it's so these kind of things have really put a a a new spin i for say on the supply chains where they it exposed that we we can't react down or up as fast as we really want to i think with a supply chain that's been leaned out you know a global supply chain that you keep really really lean if if you're going hey it's container to to customer it's like container comes in and that's in the customer's hands you know 30 days from there yeah. You can't you can't plan around a disruption like we had where you're going to have 12 weeks or 16 weeks of no nothing coming. Well, look what happened to Apple, where the province in China, where they made the Apple products, had the biggest case of COVID over there. Apple, yeah. App, Apple, Apple should say, I want this, I get this. Apple couldn't get their products. OK, so if Apple can't get it, what's going to happen to you? Yeah. 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 And it's, it's a great example because that's a company that has all the money to do whatever they need to do to do, keep the product flowing. And if they're having trouble, that's, that's the real, I think the real enlightening thing about this is this is not something that money can really fix. Now, maybe in new systems and better, better thought around the overall supply chain. 
but it's not something that that can be fixed easily by money because it would have been already in some of these situations. Yeah. Now, yeah. again, buying a business and how it relates to a particular project I did. Uh, yeah. A project where the company was very seasonable. Ninety-five uh, percent did it Christmas season. Uh huh. Related to Christmas. And I don't know if you remember, not only did we have 9-11 on 2001, but we had a dock strike on the West Coast. Yep. And they had I was a, here during that. They had 100 containers sitting out there. They couldn't get their product for the Christmas season. Yeah. They barely survived. Okay. Barely. Okay. So now what I work with my clients is have a backup source in the States. I don't care if you don't make money. You can't disappoint your best customers because they'll go elsewhere. Yeah. I don't care if you lose a lot, of, a little money. You're in the game. This guy had nothing to ship anybody. The 100 containers were sitting in the... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So the business you're buying also is how well... What are, what are their emergency plans? Okay. Yes. They have an emergency plan if there's, again, California, there's a fire up the road or a hurricane. hurricane. Yeah. New York or whatever. So just as important also is, and you're going to learn about the company you want to buy if they have these things or not. Smart yeah. companies will have disaster plans or emergency plans. Okay. And that's, that's honestly what I think happened a lot when, when COVID first hit is that there's people have got lackadaisical about that. And especially when you look at PPE items that they couldn't get in the hospitals and stuff, because those kind of low cost items have traditionally been uh, moved offshore many many years ago and we've just lived with that and and it's been it's happening in the background and and most people that pick that product up and use it every day don't realize what it took to get that product here or how tenuous that supply chain is to get that product there yeah i mean i i did i did work for people express airlines for two and a quarter years among other things i was part of the team that designed the software used to run maintenance they were three and a half years old they didn't know which parts are on which planes which is no, no. Yeah. Uh, so we tracked every 52,000 parts and every plane and every terminal and every warehouse in the country. Um, but, uh, but, but just as important, the most important thing, you had to keep the planes flying 24-7. And if the plane in, in 1984, 737, the smallest plane in the fleet, if that didn't fly for 24 hours, it cost them $75,000. Yeah. Revenue paying the staff fines from the FAA, et cetera, et cetera. So the name of the game was keep the planes flying and everything I designed in the software was meant to do that. So mm -hmm. again, buying the business, what is the success and how prepared are they to make sure that that, that happens? Uh, yeah. that, you know, in addition to the disaster plan, uh, plan for uh, making sure what's key to the business is always going to happen if you yeah. buy yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. So as you're looking at companies now, what do you think they learned going through COVID that, that they're going to be changing? That's actually going to sting bad enough. They go, okay, we're changing this because we don't, it's just not going to happen to us again. Um, I, I'm not, I, I don't, you know, like he, he just won the swimming medal and he goes, it didn't sink in yet. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I see what you mean. For a lot of these companies, it didn't sink in yet. What I yeah. have, what I have learned and seen is that people are changing the business models. They're learning how to work virtually. Okay, yeah. how to work remote. They're remodeling the business, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I'm seeing a lot of that now. 
I'm not seeing so much. We, we, I'm, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, no worries. No worries. Close the door? No. That's no worries. It's good. Okay. I can't hear it, so we're good. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so, um, so what, what, I, what I'm seeing is companies are changing the way they do business forever in yep. response to what's happening right now. And it's not a master plan. It's this is what we have to do to survive. Hey, this worked. Let's do it some more. Okay. It's not really they planned it. It just happened to them and they're going to roll with it. Yeah. Let's call it learning curve on the fly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, again, the, the companies I speak to, uh, you know, uh, oh, we haven't, uh, it, 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 again, it's too soon. We're still in it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Have to reflect what happened after it happened and say, okay, this is how we have to remodel the business moving forward. But it's that instant response that's the difference between who's still here and who's not here. Yeah. Yeah, that is. And and you're right. There's a lot of businesses that aren't here now that, that were here a year and a half ago. And and it is because of their A, their their response and 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 re, and how quickly they could respond. You know, even in the industries that were hit hard, there still were people that that at least made it through or even thrived if they made the right changes. And that's interesting that you're seeing that it's really we're learning on the fly yet and just kind of rolling with it and uh, and not, you know, making some definite plans based on on this. Yeah. Well, in my consulting practice, for instance, OK, supply chain consulting, we do the growth modeling, we do the product mix and inventory, and then we do everything on the other side of the wall uh, in the manufacturing and distribution center to get the optimal customer service at lowest cost. The building should have optimum throughput. Every job should be based on best practice. Everything is based on turning the distribution or manufacturing center into a profit center. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, what's, what we start off with is uh, uh, when we do a project, orientation. Go down, meet with the owners, learn about the business, and then take a walkthrough, et cetera. Yeah. I, I can't do walkthroughs right now, if I, or certainly a year ago, because yeah. you weren't going into the building. So what we did is everything we could do virtually yes growth plan and we did the product mix inventory study and they could start fixing all that stuff and as it'll as as it allowed before this delta variation then i started to go down and visit the business yeah. and put our feet on the ground to get the thing get the get the thing running uh but again uh do it again so what i learned is do whatever i can do virtually yeah and in some cases you know uh in, in some cases, uh, I had them walk through the building with a little yeah, with the, with the iPhone doing a. You could do a FaceTime FaceTime call walking through the walking. Yeah. We we actually uh, had uh, buyers for a business take a facility tour with a with an iPhone, right? Uh, and had people in the facility give them the tour because they couldn't go into the facility, and and that that was that was it worked out actually fairly well and and the the deal was successful and and it's just like you said you, people are figuring out what they can do and how they can continue to move on um with the challenges and that's what we should do and, and i think it's it's going to be interesting though the long-term effects of this because i think your your suggestion of having an onshore or a domestic supplier for critical okay. products is is going to change. I I interviewed Harry Mosier from the Reshoring Initiative last week. I think it was, uh, you know, and Harry's been talking about this for a number of years. And he he looks he really likes us to look at the total cost 
uh, of ownership in a product. So we're not just going, it's a $5 part and it's a and it's a $3 part, but I've got to have twice as much inventory and my risk and my supply chain or whatever else you're doing. Cause there's a lot of other factors. Um, but we were discussing this very thing and that the, the global supply chain, there's some of it, you just can't have that tenuous anymore. Uh, and, and be out of product. Like you mentioned with Apple or somebody like that, where they just can't get it. Yeah. Well, there's also other parts to it. Okay. Um, do I really want to find backup in the U.S. for everything being produced in China for my whole product line or only find backup for the A movers, the fastest movers yeah. customers must have? Yeah. So what do I have to have backup for? I have to have backup for my A movers because you have to have them or that you're going to lose it to the competition. Yeah. I also have whatever product, whatever it is, A, B, or C mover for my A customers. Yeah. Okay. So two things, what sells the most to everybody and what are my best customers buying? That's a good point. Yeah. Get back up to that. So, you know, like uh, the 20% the of those customers are 80% of your business. The 20% of those products are 80% of your sales. This is true. Get back, get back up for everything the 20% of the customers want and get back up for the 20% of the product or 25% that sells the most. And that'll yeah. That, that'll, hey, we're, we're moving. Let's say we're moving a building, okay? What I want is duplicate inventory of the A movers in the next building before we move. So if uh, if uh, there's a strike on the bridge and we can't get the product there, we can still open a business with the A movers. And yeah. It's the same thing, uh, you know. Also, you when you're you're taking the buyer to the business, okay? Hey, if they do have overstock, A movers, no B or C movers, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a great point right there. If there if 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 people that were selling a business just made sure that their overstock was primarily in stuff that they know they're going to sell, it's just a matter of a little more time. That would be wonderful. Well, well, yeah. actually, when we do the product mix study, we're telling them only keep what you can sell. Yeah. In this case of the ones you sell, the ones you sell the most. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, Roy, it's been awesome talking to you, and I think I can just hearing you and the examples that you've given you're a wealth of knowledge for people in their businesses and helping, helping them with their supply chain and making sure that their operations around their supply chain are running. Well, is, is, uh, what is the best way for them to get a hold of you if they need to need to talk to you? Okay. Um, so, uh, let's use this email address. Okay. My company is Strauss consulting group. Yep. S is in Strauss, C is in consulting, G and group, for you, number four, letter U, SCG was taken. So yep. I would say email me at info at SCG, number you. four, letter U, dot com. Okay. If they, if they would, if they want to go to my LinkedIn, just go into LinkedIn and put in Roy Strauss. Very good. Okay. I have a long link, but who cares? And if they would like to call uh, the numbers 201, my office number, 201-337-7108. Okay. Well, Roy, it was awesome to have you on the show today and get some some of the nuggets of wisdom of working in the supply chain like you do. Thanks so much for sharing. We had the, for those of you that are, might just be stopping by and those listeners, it's Roy Strauss from Strauss Consulting Group. If you want to reach out to Roy directly, you can look at him on find him on LinkedIn easy or email him at info at scg the number four you dot com and that is just a u not y-o-u but it's scg 
the number four com. So thanks so much for being here today, Roy. Thanks everyone for listening. Damon, thank you so much. I believed I was going to enjoy this, but it exceeded my expectations. It was a awesome. Awesome. <laughs> it was a pleasure talking to you. It's so it, it, a lot of fun. All right, Roy. Awesome. Awesome. And thanks everyone for being here. I will be back again next week and we'll be talking with another interesting guest about something about business that, that, uh, well, I'm sure we're going to have some interest in. Thank you. <laughs>